You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 68. George Eastman, who was the founder of the Eastman Kodak Company, once said, quote, light makes photography. Embrace light, admire it, love it, but above all, know light. Know it for all you're worth, and you will know the key to photography, unquote. So in today's Tidbit Tuesday, we're going to be talking all about light. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friend, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, you may have noticed that a common piece of advice that many of our guests have is that the key to improving your photography is to understand light, to know how light behaves and how it can change the mood or feeling of a subject and how you can use light to help you choose your composition. And so I thought this would be a good time to remix an earlier Tidbit Tuesday episode, which some of you newer listeners may have missed, which was an episode all about light, how to see it, understand it, and how to effectively use it in your compositions. So let's dive right in. The word photography was first introduced in 1839 by one of the pioneers of photography, Sir John Herschel, although I've also seen that William Henry Fox Talbot gets credit for coining the term as well. But either way, the word photography is derived from the Greek word phos, meaning light, and the Greek word graphi, meaning drawing, writing, or recording. So photography is simply the act of recording light. And that's exactly what film and our digital camera sensors do. They detect and record the light of the scene. Yes, they record other information as well, such as color and shapes, but these are all secondary to the light. Light is what gives objects shape, color, texture, and so forth. And so without light, there is no photograph. Also, our eyes are naturally drawn to lighter areas over darker areas. And so knowing this, you can help guide your viewer's attention through your image using light and shadows and dodging and burning in post-processing. Now, back in episode 16, I mentioned that one approach I take to composition is to first assess the characteristics of light and use that as a guide to what sort of subjects and compositions would work well in that kind of light. So, for example, one could argue that photographing flowers at night doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right, without some other source of light. But if you wanted to photograph the Milky Way, then that minuscule amount of light provided by the stars is all you need to create a good exposure of your subject. Now, of course, those are extreme examples, but I'm hoping it helps prove the point. So in the words of photographer Ernest Haas, quote, there is no such thing as bad light. There is just light, unquote. So I hope in this episode to help you learn how to assess light so that any light you have on a given day could be considered good light. All it does is take a little practice, and so I'll give you an exercise at the end as well to help you start seeing light in this new way. 
So light can be basically characterized in three ways, the quantity, the direction, and the type or category of light. The quantity of natural light in a scene is something that we can control in our images through changes in shutter speed and aperture. So both of these exposure settings allow us to let more or less light into the camera that will then be detected by the sensor or film. So if you're in a low light situation, such as during sunrise, sunset, blue hour, or even on a overcast or cloudy day, you can increase the quantity of light recorded by your camera by either slowing down the shutter speed and or by opening up the aperture. On the other hand, if the quantity of light is high, like in a midday kind of light, then you can use shorter shutter speeds and or stop down the aperture in order to let less light in. You could also use filters like neutral density filters to help block some of the quantity of light from entering your camera. And if you want to learn more about photography filters, I did a whole episode on it. So be sure to check out episode 38. Now, obviously, there are other things that shutter speed and aperture control, such as freezing or blurring motion and depth of field. And those effects also need to be taken into consideration when you're thinking about your exposure settings but that's not what we're gonna be focusing on today. Also, note that I didn't include ISO as one of the settings that controls the quantity of light. So while ISO is considered one of the exposure settings of the exposure triangle, it doesn't actually affect the amount of light that's coming in through the camera lens and hitting the camera sensor. Rather, it is a way of digitally amplifying the quantity of light after that light has been already recorded by the sensor. And I can go over ISO in a future Tidbit Tuesday episode, but I do have a couple of articles on the Outdoor Photography School website that go into a lot of detail about ISO if you want to check them out. Okay, so the other characteristic of light that we need to consider is the direction of light. The direction of light on your subject depends not just on the relationship between the light source, like the sun, and the subject, but also your positioning relative to the subject. So in some cases, you can control the direction of light on your subject simply by changing your own position. And there are basically three directions of light, and each has its own mood or quality. So there's front light, side light, and backlight. So let's talk about a quick example of how effective the direction of light can be on the mood of a subject. So let's imagine we're sitting around a campfire with some family or friends, and everyone's faces are glowing in the comforting light of the fire and you're all feeling sort of cozy and relaxed and it's nice. And that is until someone pulls out a flashlight, holds it to the bottom of their chin, and that basically transforms their face into a ghoulish expression that sets the mood for scary stories around the campfire, right? So just changing how that light is hitting your face can totally change the mood of your face. Anyway, front light is the light that's coming from behind you and directly illuminating your subject. This direction of light can be very intense and it can increase the contrast of the scene. Now, even though front light can lead to high contrast scenes, especially if it's coming from above, like in the midday hours, it also tends to eliminate shadow detail, thereby reducing surface details like texture or even some depth in a larger scene. If the front light is low, like say in early morning or early evening, then it can actually make the colors appear more vibrant. Whereas at midday, front light that's more overhead can make colors appear 
kind of washed out and even flat. Either way, front light has an intensity to it that gives an image an energetic and powerful feeling. So if that's the kind of mood you want to portray in your image, or if you want to draw clear attention to your subject, then this could be a good type of light to use. So let's talk about side light. Side light is when the light is hitting your subject from the left or the right, or approximately 90 degrees from your viewing position. Side light often softens the overall tonal contrast of a scene, and yet it brings out shadow details such that you can really start to see textures and other surface details more defined. Side light can also be used to create a feeling of depth to a scene because of how the light and shadows are playing together. Side light tends to soften colors as well, so the overall mood of a side lit scene tends to be one that's more peaceful, subdued, even contemplative. So if this is the feeling that you'd like to convey in your composition, then side light is a good choice. Backlight is when the light is coming from behind your subject and you are shooting directly into the light. By shooting into the light, your subject becomes almost entirely in the shadow areas. So backlight is great for creating things like a silhouette effect. By leaving the details of your subject in the shadows and the dark areas, the silhouettes can simplify your composition by emphasizing the shape or form of your subject rather than the colors or other finer details. And this leaves more up to the imagination of the viewer and can also give a sense of mystery. Backlight also allows you to create dramatic effects like sun stars, and it can emphasize atmospheric conditions like fog to create an even moodier effect. When the light is a little higher in the sky, but still coming from behind the subject, backlighting like flowers can make them appear almost like they're glowing, and the colors are often emphasized, but in a soft, gentle way, unlike front light. Lastly, backlighting can be used to create a rim light effect where the edges of your subject are illuminated more than the rest of the subject. And this can bring out little tiny details in portraits of flowers or other vegetation and even animals by bringing out the details of their fur. Rim light or otherwise known as edge light is also an effective way to emphasize texture and can add a sense of form or depth to compositions of close-up subjects that are a little more abstract in nature. Okay, so we've talked about the quantity and direction of light. So let's now talk about the different categories or types of light, which is what we as outdoor photographers have the least control over. Now, there are ways to manipulate the quality of light in the field, such as with diffusers, reflectors, or even a fill flash, or simply by changing your camera's position or focal length of your lens. Nonetheless, it's not always practical or possible to use these things. And so it's good to know how to read light go with the flow, and know how to answer to nature's whims. So there are basically four main types of light, harsh, soft, reflected, and dappled. Harsh light is what you would find on a sunny day at noon. The light is bright and intense, and if it's directly overhead, it could result in a lot of contrast depending on the scene, and it can make it difficult to expose for the highlights without clipping off the shadows or vice versa. Depending on your style of photography, this could be a good time to start experimenting with black and white images since they tend to work really well with high contrast scenes. Soft light is basically the light you would get on a cloudy day. The light is very diffused and it can even appear flat and even. 
As I discussed back in episode 16, this kind of light is less contrasty, and so it evens out the luminosity between the highlights and the shadow areas. And if you use a histogram to check exposure, this type of light tends to give you a histogram with a broad curve right in the middle that looks typically like a bell curve. And I actually love photographing in soft even light because certain details and colors can be captured that would otherwise be lost in a high dynamic range scene under harsher lighting conditions. Reflected light is when the direct light source is not the sun. Reflected light occurs when direct light is reflecting off of a surface and illuminating another surface, usually with a softening effect. So it's common to get reflected light bouncing off of the inside of canyon walls, for example, during midday when the sun is high and harsh outside the canyon. Inside, it might be nice and glowy and soft. Another example is closer to my home in Vermont, which is snow. Light reflecting off of snow is a very effective reflector that can light up shadow areas, especially when you're deep in the forest, and reduce contrast. Lastly, dappled or spotlight occurs when there's a brief break in the clouds and some sunlight peeks through and illuminates just a small area. It's a wonderful phenomenon when it happens, and it's not something that you can really plan for, but it's something to be aware of as a possibility on stormy days when the clouds are moving quickly. And because, as I said earlier, our eyes are drawn to lighter areas first, dappled light is an effective way to draw the viewer's attention to your subject, and it can create a moody or mysterious feeling to the image as well. As I mentioned in the beginning, it takes practice to start to recognize all of these different characteristics of light, the quantity, the direction, and the type. And one reason it's challenging is that we're so visually attuned to see the objects in the scene that our brains basically take the contribution of light for granted. But remember, light is what makes it all possible. The shapes we see, the forms, the lines, textures, colors, the mood, the whole kit and caboodle. So here's a simple exercise to try if you want to start training your eyes to see light differently. Pick a simple subject close to home that you can revisit often. For example, this could be something in your backyard, a favorite tree, a potted plant, your patio chair. It really doesn't matter what it is so long as it can be in the full sun throughout the day without being in the shadow of something else. And then on a sunny day, set up your camera and tripod in one location if possible, face the camera towards the western sky for this exercise. Then take a series of four to six images throughout the day, and this could be an hour before sunrise, an hour after sunrise, noon, sunset, and an hour after sunset, for example. And be sure to adjust your exposure settings to keep the exposures even throughout the day, and then compare the images and see how the direction, the quality, and the quantity of the light changed how that subject appeared what becomes emphasized or minimized by the different types of light. You can do a similar exercise where you photograph the same subject or scene under different types of light to see how harsh, soft, reflected, or dappled light changes the mood of the same scene as well. All right, thanks so much for listening to this Tidbit Tuesday. As always, I appreciate you tuning in, and I hope this episode helped to shed some light on how to use light effectively in your photography. You can find all the links to the references I mentioned today in the show notes at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 68. And a huge thank you to everyone who has supported the podcast by leaving a rating and review 
buying me a coffee through the link in the show notes, which I think of as like a podcast tip jar. It's a way of saying thanks or has shared the show with a friend who they think would enjoy it too. I really love producing this podcast for you and each of these ways helped me to continue to do that. So thank you. And I'll be back here next week with professional photographer, Victoria Hack, to chat about the creative benefits of being a generalist photographer, some of the challenges with working with human or animal models, insights into how she creates her environmental portraits, what it's like working as a brand ambassador, and a whole lot more. So be sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss out on this or any of our upcoming episodes. And until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.